Available right now via the iHeart app and iTunes. Our two new podcasts. Armstrong and Getty, one more thing. That's our daily after show podcast. And Armstrong and Getty Extra Large featuring our interviews of the most interesting people in the world. Subscribe today via the iHeart app or iTunes. Or wherever podcasts are given away for free. Because we're stupid. So this, so this came up the other day in conversation. We've been talking about this for years when it comes to presidential elections, that, for instance, debates are, are about the stupidest way to try to compare two candidates. Well, and the so-called f- debates, which aren't debates. Well, no, they aren't right. debates in any way, yet right. the media acts like they are, and at the end they, they ask, who do you think won? And, and it's just the whole uh, thing is stupid. Yeah. And now we've moved on to these town hall creations, which I like better than the debates, but... Um, we we we've always just been wondering what what's the best way to pick a president of the United States. Seems like we go about it in a terrible way. Let's introduce our guest, Lan He Chen, the host of the podcast Crossing Lines with Lan He Chen, David and Diane Steffi, research fellow at the Hoover Institution, also the director of domestic policy studies and lecturer at Stanford University. Lan He, how are you, sir? Good morning. Good to be with you. Good morning. So at the end of our discussion last time around, the the topic came up of the primaries and how they've changed and how they often yield unelectable candidates, and, and we were talking about what you thought would be the best way for the parties to boil down the would-be candidates and pick somebody. Um, you want to start with uh, Jack's topic there? The so-called debates are idiotic in our, our minds. What would be better than that? Well, you, you guys have a great point about debates. I mean, I've, you know, I've been involved in four presidential campaigns and been in a senior role in two of them. And what I can tell you about these debates is that they're nothing more than theater. And, and the challenge is, instead of having a real discussion about issues, what you really have are you know, one- to two-minute position statements that are really about posturing and about trying to, to appeal to certain constituencies rather than really trying to answer the question. So I, I tend to agree that one of the problems we have is now we've got a primary process where you literally have you know, 15, 20, 25 debates before you even get to people actually voting. And I'm just not sure that's the best way to do it. it I, I would prefer a system where people actually get to answer questions substantively. The, the town hall thing actually isn't bad because there you get a little bit more insight and a little bit more detail. But even then, the way these guys set it up, a lot of people in the media, it's just about gotcha questions. Sure. And, and that doesn't get us anywhere. And I, I'm bothered by crowd response. That's always bothered me in debates. It makes it more fun to watch. It feels kind of weird when there's no crowd and it's just dead silent. But then it all becomes about what line gets the biggest cheers or whoops or boos or whatever. Right. And that's a heck of a way to run, run a, a dog and pony show. Well, yeah, Lon, he, you've been involved in, in campaigns. It would be pretty easy to load a town hall audience with 20 people who are in favor of puppy side. I mean, just anything. And they'd cheer like crazy, and people would think, yeah, that person's really popular. Yeah, I mean, you saw, you've seen this every, every time around. In, in 2016, um, there were debates in the Republican primary, for example. I recall there being debates 
in in New Hampshire, for example, there was a debate in New Hampshire where Marco Rubio, um, you know, had had a gap essentially where he basically, you know, the 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 knock on him was he was repeating the same thing over and over again, and people in the crowd were booing and hooting, and it was pretty clear that Chris Christie's team, his campaign, had basically packed the audience uh, against Rubio, and there was another debate where Rubio had essentially packed the audience and. This is the kind of theater you end up with, which is it's all about getting that crowd response. You guys may remember in in 2008, there were YouTube debates. There were debates which essentially featured questions from people on YouTube, and it was the most random thing ever. And, And that's what you end up with. You end up with these situations which, you know, to the ordinary person watching, they think, wow, gosh, well, that, you know, seems like that person didn't do all that well and they don't realize all of the stagecraft that goes into it. So this is this is the problem with the current system. Okay, so uh, obviously we need something C-Spanish, no audience, even-handed moderation, or, or and extended answers. Or, as came up last time when we were talking about this, do we go backwards in time to where the parties get together with the powerful alone in a room and make their own decision of who they think ought to be uh, representing their party? Would that be better? Well, I, I think in some ways it, it would produce an outcome where you would ensure that the nominees of each party, um, you know, probably were people that had very similar profiles, right? So you would have people who had been in government, who had experience, who, you know, had, had essentially a good relationships within the party. And I think in some ways that would produce a more, more um, mainstream set of candidates. I just don't think that would ever happen in this day and age. Uh, to go back to this question of how to compare candidates for a minute, in the general election, when we have the general election, the debate structure in the general election, where you've got two candidates, the, the structure is set, the audience cannot respond to anything that's said during the debate. You've got usually pretty well-regarded journalists who are the moderators. That structure is not bad in terms of comparing candidates, but really what we need is we need an informational platform for the American people to really see what everybody is about. And I tend to think that will help a, a little bit, you know, not, not the smoke-filled rooms process, but one where we get more information out there, that tends to be the better idea. Oh boy, definitely the dozen or more people on stage where they each speak for 45 seconds is practically worthless. Lon He Chen is online, host of the podcast, Crossing Lines with Lon He Chen. So, uh, yeah, again to the question of... You know, the the primary process, the word democracy is thrown around like a religious incantation these days, as if uh, more democracy is always better and always yields a better result when that's not true. Um, I, you know, it's funny. I keep going back and See forth. See the bullet train in California. Oh, yeah. For instance. Or, you know, I remember being fascinated. I think it was one of my college professors pointed out that democracies are very bad at ending wars. Because there's national pride involved and and all sorts of things, and you have to build a consensus, whereas a dictator can just say, this ain't working, and and end it, and he's not going to suffer for it, probably. Anyway, so the idea of the the party elders, the smoke-filled rooms, those people getting together with an outsized influence or complete influence and saying, look, Bernie's never, ever going to win. We need somebody more reasonable than that. Let's look at X, Y, or Z. That has its appeal. On the other hand, I could see that yielding over and over again candidates on both sides who are just going to perpetuate the concentration of power in Washington, Washington D.C., deficit spending, and, and the scam continuing. So I don't even know what I think. 
Yeah, and, and you never really get disruption. And sometimes in a democratic process, what you need and want is disruption. You want people who come along. I mean, for, for all of the discussion about Donald Trump, what, what he was primarily in 2016 was someone who came along and, and completely disrupted the process. And you know, I think that upset a lot of people for sure. But to a certain degree, that is what that is what people want every so often. Now, every so often they want something different. And that that's what democratic processes are designed to yield. They're designed to be responsive to what people are feeling and what they want. And that has downside. Now, it's one thing when you talk about candidates. You guys mentioned the bullet train. It's another thing when you talk about policy and letting people legislate every couple of years things that may be completely different. And, and I have a big problem with how significant the initiative process, for example, has become in California or in other states. But California is a, a perfect example. You go to the, the ballot and you've got 20 different issues that you're expected to vote on. And who knows about some of this stuff? I mean, it's absolutely ludicrous what we're asked to vote on sometimes. But that's the process. That's, that's what happens when you have a process that's designed to be maximally democratic. You end up with like voting on things that you have no clue what you're actually voting on. That's not healthy for democracy. Well, either, and, and the winner carries the force of law. And it's it's been a disaster for folks listening all over the fruited plain and foreign lands. The initiative process in California, more democracy, has been an unmitigated disaster because you get uh, special interest groups, whether they're unions or whatever, they hire good PR people, they got plenty of money to pay for them, they spin the heck out of these issues or paint rosy, rosy pictures of this, that, or the other, and the poor suckers of California who don't have half a clue on transportation infrastructure, for instance, vote for something utterly idiotic, and then it just, it's impossible to kill, so beware. Lon He Chen is with us, oh, crossing lines yeah. with Lon He Chen. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, it's big business. I mean, that's really what it comes down to, guys. I mean, that the, the whole initiative thing is big business for, for people who work in the, in the campaign industry. And that's what it's become. You've got signature gatherers. You've got people who do the advertising, people who do, quote, grassroots work. I mean, it's big business. And that's why the entrenched interests will probably never want to really change the system because they make a lot of money off of it. Hey, can we get, before we run out of time, 45 seconds on can, what you... Can I get a bottom line real quick on the previous thing? So would you go with the current system with just different debates and such and let the, the lots of democracy into the primary system, or do you like super delegates, kind of the older mix, or what? What, what would your, be your bottom line? Yeah, I, I like two things. One is I like a debate process that's got fewer debates with rules that are designed for more civil discussion and people actually hearing about issues. And I do like the, the you know some party elder element, whether it's super delegates or people who understand what the implications are for the parties having a slightly outsized voice. Not okay. a totally outsized voice, but a slightly outsized voice. So uh, could we get 45 seconds on the whole uh, China trade thing, tariff situation? Is uh, Trump on the right side of this? Well, look, I, I, I think that at, at the end of the day, both the United States and China need a deal. I think the Chinese need a deal worse because their economy is really struggling, and it just demonstrates how dependent they are on, on trade. But, but fundamentally, in the long run, it's not healthy for either economy to have continuing conflict Tariffs, in my mind, in the long run, are probably not the right answer. I think they end up raising costs for consumers here. But in the short run, I think getting China to the table and forcing them to recognize, hey, they've got to make some changes. They can't stop the, they can't continue stealing intellectual property and requiring U.S. companies to be in joint ventures where essentially their excuses to rip off our stuff. That certainly is the right path. 
but it's not a sustainable long-run path. I would hope they could get to some kind of systemic reform soon. Yeah, I, I, I don't think anybody's thinking of this in the long term, but we'll see. Lon He Chan, Crossing Lines with Lon He Chan. Look for the podcast for podcasts are distributed.